Estimate Rocket is proud to sponsor this APC podcast. Chasing down invoices, dealing with difficult customers, answering employee questions, and worrying about the competition undercutting your prices can make it seem that you'll never be able to take a vacation again. When you implement Estimate Rocket, everyone in your business can be on the same page. Jobs run more smoothly, costs are controlled, and every job is more profitable, no matter whether you're in the office or on the beach. Getting started is easy, and with their industry-best painting templates, you can hit the ground running, leaving more time for little Susie and less time battling the competition. Even better, Estimate Rocket offers a 30-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose except all that stress. Visit EstimateRocket.com today to find out how to spend less time dealing with the hassle and more time doing what you love. EstimateRocket.com Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. The Paint Radio podcast on Paint Radio from APC. All those great acronyms, all those great things we love. I'm Andrew. Emily is here. Emily, do you know what happens when you Google Emily Howard? I do not come up. Well, let's pause and give everyone a moment to do that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but do you know who does pop up? I, I've Who's seen the a most famous? Things. It's been a while since I've Googled myself. Oh, no one's going to believe that. Come on. The most famous Emily Howard, according to Google, at least on my computer. She is about your age. She may be exactly your age. And she's a British composer. British meaning UK. Uh, nice job, Emily. I know. It's impressive. And if you Google Andrew Dwyer, do you know what pops up? I have no idea. Andrew Dwyer, ironically, amazingly, coincidentally, is that Emily Howard's assistant. (laughs) He actually does all of her composing, but she takes credit for it. (laughs) It's like the opposite world there (laughs) in Google. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my goodness. That's very true. Well, that was my really embarrassing and haggard attempt to introduce the topic of today's podcast, which is search engine optimization, keywords, stellar content, getting the most out of your websites. So we have the most bestest guests. We have Adam Zobel, owner of Launch Content Solutions. Adam, sir, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. By the way, is it Zobel or Zobel? I should have asked that earlier. That's okay. I answer to both. I've learned to over the years, but technically, Zobel. Emphasis on the first syllable, Emily. That's right. Good to know. And we also have Aaron Cody, owner and founder, chief strategist, if you will, of A Visual Glitch. Aaron, how are you? Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Talking SEO, can we try to... uh sort of frame the situation. Have we gotten to the point, this could be a very difficult question to answer, like all questions on the APC Paint Radio. Do we feel like most people at least have a somewhat healthy respect for what SEO is and that it exists and you can't just have your nephew write content because he's a sophomore majoring in English at the local university and that that might not be good enough for true SEO, do you think people have an appreciation and respect for what SEO is and how to meet it, even if they're not expert manipulators of the SEO? Yeah, I think that there's a growing appreciation for it. 
I think a lot of people are starting to realize that we don't really live in a yellow pages world anymore. Uh, it's been phased out quite a bit now, but people turn to their phones. It used to be computers more so, but now everything is really smartphones and they look stuff up. I mean, we have to be ready for the future or it's going to pass us by. I like that. I like that. What would you say as far as uh, painting contractors? Obviously, our audience, 100% painting contractor. What does SEO mean to them? Is it simply about keywords? Is it about photos? If you were sitting in front of a painting contractor and you were trying to help them visualize how they should be thinking about SEO, what would you say to them? Well, Andrew, to jump in there, <laughs> it's funny you kicked this off asking Emily if she's ever Googled herself. I mean, I know I have in the past. I've come across some hairy, scary college papers from past years and things like that. And it's funny, though, because one thing that's come up quite often that kicks off an SEO conversation are painting clients that I work with, the contractors, who Google their competitors to see what their competitors are up to. And then, you know, I'll get an email and say, hey, I found them. They've got this particular page that popped up first. How do we go about doing some stuff like this of our own? And so I think to Aaron's point, there's a growing appreciation for sure. And there's an awareness that often comes from just Googling, not just yourself, but other people in the area. Be like, hey, wait, what are they up to? And then conversely, how can we do this and how can we do it better to be found? Which kind of coming full circle to your whole question, I think that is the crux of it. Is, you know, How do we be found on this all important Google thing and pop up ahead of the other people? Is SEO important for everyone? Does everybody need to be doing SEO hands down? It's just marketing basics at this point, or are there things that you should be considering before you decide that this is where you want to put your marketing money? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting question because SEO used to be very dry and linear. And uh, I mean, the ultimate goal was just to manipulate search engines, right? And that's kind of shifted more towards providing a better user experience, having better content, just providing a better overall feel to your website visitors, all right, so while SEO might not be a great fit for everybody, depending on budgetary issues or if they're in an area that just doesn't have a whole lot of search demand, a lot of SEO best practices are just best practices in general from a digital marketing perspective. So it might not make sense for everybody to target all of the SEO checkboxes, but in my opinion, I do think that there is a lot of overlap between SEO and, and just having a solid digital presence. And I think that's where we're going to kind of dive in now, probably with Adam, is that SEO all comes down to what's on your site, right? Whether it's content or offering of services, that kind of thing. What kind of things do you think people need to have on their site? What kind of content do they need to be creating to help with SEO? Yeah, the low-hanging fruit when I first start up with a new client is just generally to take a close look at their website overall. The service pages are a really key starting point. So making sure that they are readable, that they, um, <laughs> I kind of hate to use this word because, I mean, I love words. I love writing. kind of like the written version of listening to myself talk. I can get really wordy sometimes, but in all honesty, people don't want to read a lot. They want to skim. So those key service pages, making sure that they're very broken down, a lot of bullet points, a lot of clear headers, so people can kind of flick through on their phone and find what they need. So those anchor service pages, that's the top priority, really drilling down into your target audience and the message you want to communicate and making sure it's readable. 
And then after that point, that's where we can get into kind of the fun stuff, the blog articles, that ongoing portion of your website that can be a little more fluid. Those initial anchor service pages, they're going to stay kind of a little more static. We can add to them, might make some tweaks, add photos down the road. But the blog articles, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road as far as keeping the content fresh on your website. And I know Aaron's explained that to me before, too, of how important it is, just as far as the different criteria Google looks for, to make sure that your website, there's actual changes taking place, that nothing's growing too stale. What are some things that you've seen contractors write about, right? Like, is it how to vet a painting contractor or what you can expect to pay for quality paint job or comparison of paints? Just because, well, as a writer and an editor, I can certainly say that it's difficult to come up with content sometimes. What are some good ideas that you've seen out there? So I like to build out kind of a, a mental bucket, and then that bucket gets turned into Google Drive folders of general FAQ being a one really important bucket. So you could talk to your sales team, to field team members, crew leaders, people in your office, those top questions that you hear. And we'll dig into some of the SEO value for that for sure. But just as a top level view, those questions that you hear all the time, that gets translated to awesome blog articles, but then you can also use that to inform your approach for your service pages. Because now you know, the little extra insight into what your audience wants to hear about and what they're wondering about. For the blog topics, you know, I see painters who address questions with full transparency, and that's so important in your blogs with, you know, the deep dive into those FAQs that I was just mentioning. And then also it needs to be broken down really by audience. So there's different blog topics. For example, one painter I work with, they're doing a lot with HOAs and they're trying to crack into more of that industry. And a lot of that's trust and relationship building, the business development side. But I will sit down with, well, <laughs> over phone and over Zoom because she's on the other side of the country. But I'll sit down with their business development person and say, what are you hearing about? You know, as you go out and are in the field talking with people and different networking events, what kinds of things are they bringing up that we can address in blog topics? And then I'll write blogs based around what she's hearing. And then those blogs can then be turned into a highlight email campaigns that she will send out to her particular audience. So very personalized emails with a link to the top three or four most recent blogs. And that gets sent out to her ongoing rolling list of new contacts. So I love that idea of getting really intentional about your audience, not just writing broad terms, but really succinctly targeting specific industries that have their own specific questions. That's super important for the residential side, but equally, if not more so, for the commercial and industrial side where you really have to establish yourself as an authority within a given vertical to be able to get in and get more of the projects that you'd like to be doing. So I'm curious, you were talking about sending out content at probably a, a regular cadence. What's the time frame look like? What does that cadence look like? Are you writing one article a week, a day, a month, a year, a quarter? What do you guys recommend as far as how often you need to be putting up this new content? I'll let Aaron jump in there too and his recommendations on the back end, but it's a quick answer from my end working on the front end with the client. It typically depends on their goals and on the amount of material that they have. My saying is fluff is a four-letter word, so I try to avoid pumping out an article just for the sake of pumping out an article on a schedule. So it can vary. There's some that I write six articles a month, others one or two, but we really make sure that it's a good quality piece that they're excited about. Aaron, what do you have to say? The technical side of this is unbelievably complex. It is. Um, <laughs> what's your thought on timing and how often you should be pushing out new content? 
Yeah, so kind of a catch-22 because Google likes to see new content coming out at regular intervals, but at the same time, Google is looking for content that is better than existing content. It's kind of a never-ending race to the top. So in my experience, if people have the budget or the bandwidth to create really high-quality content, one blog post a week is pretty solid, but I wouldn't be too turned away from focusing on one really solid blog post a month. Random question. Should you take down, like, you know, if you're looking through Google Analytics, you put a blog post up, it was a flop. Should you take that down? It's a good question. It depends on, depends on how well it was written, right? It depends on a lot of different factors, but it is possible to repurpose existing content if it's not performing that well currently. It gets a little bit technical diving in to establish whether or not it's worth investing time and energy into rebuilding out. I would also like to mention that it sometimes takes weeks or months for content to start getting picked up by Google where you're seeing impressions, clicks, and conversions. Would you guys say that the algorithm that you're seeing from Google is respectable? That like an umpire in baseball, that they're doing a good job back there calling balls and strikes? Or is Google just hectic, haphazard, can't be trusted, I don't know what's going on? How would you assess Google's algorithm? Google's algorithm is uh, uniquely discriminative, I guess. <laughs> it's very, very weird because it's really week by week, sometimes day by day, they release new algorithm updates. They're like, hey, what was good is now still good, but a lot less good. Focus on this instead. And it's kind of hard to keep up with everything that Google is pushing out from an algorithm perspective, right? They throw a lot of updates out there and they're not really too specific about what they're updating. The more information that search engines give about algorithm updates, I guess the higher the potential is that somebody figures out a way to manipulate it and game the system. So a lot of search engines have been heading more towards towards user-focused content. They used to care more about a lot of the technical aspects on the back end of content, but over the years, they've been prioritizing content more and more that is written to the end user and not to Google. Well, and I think that's such an interesting point because that obviously SEO is pretty important to us over at APC. So you know, we look into keywords and all kinds of different things. And our strategy has always been right to humans first, right to machines second. But we've seen, there's certainly people out there that we've seen kind of, you read this abstract and it's sort of like this laundry list of keywords. And you think, what is that video about? Or what is that blog about? Like that doesn't even feel like it makes any sense. And yet it's ranking unbelievably high. What kind of advice do you all have about this kind of mystifying concept of keywords? Yeah, Emily, I totally agree, you know, writing for the person rather than the robot, especially as the algorithm has gotten more sophisticated and really is focused on that user experience. There's the older pages that are still kicking around with the keyword stuffing where it's just, if you're a painter in Milwaukee, everything's going to say Milwaukee painter, house painting in Milwaukee. And it's just totally hard to read and very stilted. One thing to your question, Emily, about that, that I would be curious to see is if you look in the back end of the analytics, that, that page might be getting a lot of traffic, but you know, how long are people are staying there? How many are just bouncing right off right away? If you look at the duration of time spent on the page or clicks from there, 
chances are that yes, it got a lot of foot traffic, so to speak, but nobody wanted to hang around. And that's where the user experience comes in that will pay off. Even if the upfront numbers aren't quite as high or quite as exciting, if you deliver a better experience overall and more readable content, that's gonna put you ahead of the overly optimized page for lack of a better term. Yeah, and to follow up with that, uh, I think it's important to note that there are typically two ways to perform SEL. There's white hat SEO and black hat SEO. And white hat SEO is typically following Google's guidelines, following all the best practices that are out there. And black hat SEO is typically more manipulative. A lot of the pieces of content that are ranking really high that you read and you don't understand anything that's on there, it's typically because it's black hat SEO. They could dump a ton of money into buying backlinks for a specific page, which can get very complex, but typically the backlinks that they would build are kind of spammy and they'll work for a few weeks, maybe if they're lucky before Google gives them a penalty and removes the content. Long story short, a lot of that content is set up for short-term success. Google, as I said, has been prioritizing content that is written for the humans. So whenever you see content that is super robotic and not written too well, check back in a week and see where it's at. One thing that I've noticed for both of you from trolling your websites, which again, Adam's is launchcontentsolutions.com. By the way, Adam is a good friend of David Chisholm, and David Chisholm is certainly a good friend of the podcast. Adam used to work with David. I guess you guys still work together, Adam. That's awesome. And Aaron's Aaron's website, again, is avisualglitch.com. Before I forget, Aaron, why is it called A Visual Glitch? Explain that to me. Oh, that's a really fun story. When I first got into digital marketing, I was actually exclusively interested in graphic design. And at the time I had a really, really awful laptop. And every time I tried to open up Photoshop or Illustrator, it would just crash. But one time I was able to actually save whatever I was working on and it was awful. It was very glitchy and very buggy. And the name kind of inspired me to to go for a visual glitch. And then when I realized about five or six years ago now that graphic design wasn't really for me, I decided to keep the name because it's kind of cool. What an auspicious origin story. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But I'm sorry. I'll finally get to my question. The concept of researching your competition. I love this concept. I, of course, have no competition, but still, in theory, I think it's a fabulous topic. So, Aaron, let me start with you. Why should painting contractors be researching their competition? And then, of course, how should they be going about that? So researching your competition is very important because you're able to see what they're doing that's working and you're able to build upon it. Right. So from an SEO perspective, typically, I don't really recommend people try anything that's too revolutionary or too off the beating path unless they are fine with potentially having not a lot of success because, <laughs> you know, there is a lot of proven stuff that works from an SEO perspective. And taking a deep dive in your competitors gives you an idea of what's working in your market. 
what's working locally for your competition might not be working nationally. So it is important to to look at your competitors from an SEO perspective and also just from a marketing perspective as a whole. SEO is catalyzed by lots of different forms of marketing. So email marketing, as Adam had mentioned, talking with the business development person in coordinating email campaigns around new content. I mean, that helps SEO. And a lot of SEO is not necessarily dependent on these other forms of marketing, but it is boosted. So I think looking at competitors as a whole is very helpful. And from an SEO perspective, it can get very complicated looking at your competitors. Typically from an SEO perspective, I have a suite of about 10 to 15 tools that I use at any given time to do competitor research. If you wanted to do competitor research on your own from an SEO perspective, I would highly recommend the paid tool called Ahrefs, spelled A-H-R-E-F-S. So Ahrefs is a very powerful tool that should be able to give you a really clear idea of what's going on with your competitors within a month, I would say. Typically, it takes me about a week or so using Ahrefs as one of the tools in my competitor analysis. But definitely recommend checking out that tool. They have lots of free guides on their blog highlighting what to look for uh, with your competitors. Another option as well, which is kind of anti-bootstrapping, if you will, but you could always hire an SEO expert to take a look at your specific situation. Because any blogs, any kinds of content guides or resources you read highlighting the competitor uh, analysis portion, it's going to kind of be general, right? It can't really be unique to your local market. There might be some resources specific to painters, but I can't imagine a ton because it is kind of niched out from a holistic SEO perspective. And a lot of the SEO companies are putting out these resources. Obviously, they're trying to target the keywords that get the most search volume. So if we all start searching for <laughs> competitor analysis guides for painters, I think maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll just listen and start creating some content for it. And so Aaron and Adam, as far as the actual outside of using a paid service like Ahrefs, how does one go about researching the competition? Are you simply Googling them by name? Are you Googling the market and paying contractor? Do you need an incognito window? How do you actually research a competitor? Yeah, I think starting with an incognito window is always a great choice. Google's been showing a lot of personalized search results. So an incognito window does help. And honestly, the easiest way and the most frequent way that I do it is by searching painters in and throw in your town and state. Look at the competitors that don't have a specific service area page for that area. So for example, Certipro might have a specific landing page for a New York City location. That would be kind of a bad competitor to look at. They're a national level with this one page for that area, not a whole website. So looking for competitors that have a website and are local to the area that you want to focus on. And I typically look for the first five or six, and then I visit the websites and dig deeper from there. I found that, especially when clients, as I mentioned earlier on, will do a little bit of research on their own, which starts some of the content conversation too, that they will also include specific services. And it's interesting to see, actually gives me a little insight because almost invariably they will Google the services that they most want to grow in. 
So I've seen that with a commercial oriented painting company, whether they want to get into more retail spaces or HOAs, warehouse painting, if it's an industrial side or residential, if it's something specific like cabinet painting, that's more of a niche that they want to get into and expand. So I've often found that they will do that. As Aaron said, the location for sure. And then also they'll check out those specific services that they want to be competing against. How granular should those service pages be? So if you're a residential painter who does residential repaints and maybe some cabinet refinishing as well, do you want to have a residential repaint and a cabinet? Do you want to have a residential repaint, a front door painting service, a bathroom painting service? Like how granular should those pages be? So I typically will keep it as kind of what I call the pillars, you know, your service pillars and have your pages be about those. So for residential, that's often a general residential painting overview page, interior, exterior cabinet painting. And then if there's any specialties like deck refinishing doors, that sort of thing, we have pages built out for those. We don't want to get so heavy as far as service pages that the navigation on the website becomes really clunky or really hard to find, which is why those pillar pages are helpful because they serve as kind of the gateway, if you will, to getting deeper into more specific services that people might be looking for. But off the navigation of the website, if you want to build out more really hyper-targeted pages, (laughs) and Aaron, tell me if this is bad advice, but you can build out more pages that are about those really specific services you want to reach. They can live on your website and be found by local search, but they don't have to be included in the actual navigation of your website where they're going to clutter things up. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Aaron, did you want to add on? Yes. I was just going to say that that is a good strategy. User experience is definitely number one. So keeping the navigation menu pretty streamlined, pretty straightforward is definitely a great idea. And in terms of having content existing on the site that's not accessible by the navigation, it could cause some, emphasizing the word, could cause some indexing issues for those pages. Typically, I would like to throw them on the footer if possible, or as long as there's a page that is being linked to. For, this is going to sound like inception, but if there's a page <laughs> that's linked from the homepage that has the links to all those other pages, that would be fine as well. When Google crawls a website, it's looking for links between pages, right? So the further it has to go down to find a website, the less it kind of likes that. It's referred to as crawl depth. But it is very important to make sure that the content that you have matches your searcher's intent, right? So if you think that a specific service might be too granular or it might not really make a ton of sense on your end, Consider the visitor. What are they looking for? And make sure that you're matching the content of the page matches exactly what it is they're looking for. So you probably will end up having to create some of those really granular niche pages that you might not see a ton of value in. But if three people search for that specific page a month and one of them clicks on your listing and that's 12 visitors over a year, And I mean, if you figure even one of them converts, the time it took to create that page more than paid for itself. Notice that we use the phrase, even our guests use the phrase user experience. We don't say UX. No, we're not a jargon heavy podcast. We are a podcast by and for the people. That's what you get at Paint Radio. Thank you for not saying UX.
So you were just talking about, Aaron, crawl depth, which is an industry term, I'm sure. Um, but there are all kinds of technical pieces of this, aside from just kind of writing in keywords to your headlines and your subheads and into your article, of course. I know just kind of in preparation for this, I took a look at our CMS, which is Drupal. And we've CMS, got CMS, that of, sounds like jargon to me. The, it's an acronym. <laughs> Our content <laughs> management system <laughs> is called uh, is called Drupal, and you know you've got this option for meta tags on the right hand side, and it looks super complex. In all honesty, there are like thirty options now. Most of them are under the advanced tab, which of course I never click on. <laughs> um, but aside from writing into the content itself, are there some extra little things that you should be doing um, when you're posting these articles to help get it picked up by either Google or other search engines? The first thing I would recommend is to Google SEO, sorry, search engine optimization, periodic table. (laughs) Um, There are uh, a lot of other SEO agencies that create these infographics in a periodic table format with a lot of different technical SEO factors and take a look at all of that and ignore like all of it. Uh, It's all very important, (laughs) but it's so confusing. I do SEO all day, pretty much every day, some weekends, but um, (laughs) it's very complicated and it doesn't have to be. There are a lot of technical aspects. I wouldn't really recommend getting too overly concerned about them. As long as your content is solid, I mean, that's step one making sure that you have a title and a description. That's step number two. And step number three, if you want to go the extra mile, after the content is live, if you have a Google Search Console account connected to your website, which is free and you get some really good data, highly recommended if you don't have it, you can actually submit the URL for indexing to Google. I guess it's more of a a feel good than it is a actual indexing request feature. It's kind of telling Google to not forget to index your page, but it's not specifically telling them stop what they're doing and come index it. If you don't submit your content to be indexed, it's still going to be picked up arguably at around the same time frame. But a lot of people like having, having that option to take an extra step kind of feels achieving, I guess. Well, like many things, it probably feels like you're having some effect on the outcome. Exactly. You're being decisive and you're choosing, but what you're saying is, is that don't stress too much because Google's going to pick it up anyways. Google like finds me on this what podcast. <laughs> I, I like to think I have a role on this podcast, but I really, I hit record. <laughs> and that's, that's about it. Hey, that's important. It is. <laughs> you add wit and avoid acronyms. I mean, that's a lot. Right <laughs> so one question we like to ask our guests, similar to the very common and good question where people are like, what books are you reading lately? And I, that's a good question, but I'm not going to ask that. But I am going to say what, other than going to your respective websites, which we'll talk about at the very end, any advice on where you would guide, in this case, painting contractors, any websites or resources, materials, other than paintmag.com, of course, where you think they could brush up and, and stay up on some best practice when it comes to SEO? Where would you send them? There are a ton of resources, and I'm a fan of simplicity. I'm going to give two. First one is going to be the ahrefs.com blog. 
all of the content there is actually kind of enjoying to read, which is hard. <laughs> I know the SEO can be very overwhelming and very confusing, but it's also very interesting. And they do a really good job of enforcing that. And then the second resource is going to be searchengineland.com. And they have a lot of, a lot of great resources. Some of it is pretty technical, but I believe that they also have a newsletter that goes out when large algorithm updates occur. And if you want to go the extra mile, there is a really technical newsletter that I'm subscribed to that I really like. And that is by Marie Haynes, spelled H-A-Y-N-E-S. She has a free version and a paid version. I just use the free version, but she's extraordinarily technical. And if that's your cup of tea, I highly recommend checking her out. Nice. Adam, how about you? So for content writing, if you research content writing, you are going to find so many different options. And a lot of them are going to be around more traditional ad copy approaches and methods. So I'll give one resource that is connected actually to social media, but I think there's a lot of overlap sometimes in your content on your website and then the social media side and promoting it. And then I'll share a little homework, I think would probably be an even more helpful takeaway from the content side of things for me. So I really enjoy Social Media Examiner. That's a really great resource for just best practices, brushing up on what to do with your content once it's live. And there's just a lot of great content tips and guides, videos, and how that plays into your overall content strategy also. But for me, I would say it's just stepping back and taking a really hard look at your own website too. And thinking through not just the content that you have that you might be married to because you know you helped put it together five years ago, whatever the case might be, but really thinking through who are you trying to reach and where are you trying to take this website? And is it checking the boxes as far as communicating clearly what you're most excited about, about your business, and also the needs for the researchers? Because that's going to tie in with the SEO side. What are people looking for? That value that they're trying to find, and are they going to find it on your website or aren't they? So to Emily's point earlier, answering questions, developing those frequently asked question pages, super helpful. And yeah, I would just make sure that you then just stay active with a blog a week if you can manage that or find someone who can help you doing that, but just to keep your website fresh. Nice. And unfortunately, Emily, I'm sure you noticed neither one of them said Googling Emily Howard is the best <laughs> practice. So Adam, so Bell, owner of Launch Content Solutions, launchcontentsolutions.com. Adam, what when people head to that website, if they want to learn more about you, what is it that you do for your customers? Right there on the homepage, words that work. That is my unofficial tagline. So anything from website copy, uh, brochure, print media, social media management, that is what I do. I make words and I try to make words that work. I like it. And Aaron Cody, owner, founder, chief strategist of A Visual Glitch at A Visual Glitch. Com. Aaron, what can you tell people about how you work uh, with customers? What will they see there at your website? So what I do is typically twofold, depending on what whatever it is that you're looking for, right? I do uh, audits to figure out where your website is currently at, where your content's at, where your competitors are at. Uh, I help figure out content calendars based on search demand. And I also build out SEO strategies. And I can either hand that over to you 
or I can also actually do the SEO implementations, but I don't have a fancy tagline. Unfortunately, it's just, it's just SEO. I like it, but I did notice on your website that you drive a right-hand drive car. Is that a postal truck? Aaron, what are you driving that's right-hand drive? Everybody thinks it is. All the mailmen wave to me. There's nothing cooler than a postal truck. Yeah. Uh, There's your tagline, Aaron delivers. <laughs> oh, man. Adam, you're hired. <laughs> it's pretty much the English version of a of a Honda Civic. It's nothing really too fancy, but everybody thinks it's Japanese, but it, it's it's not. It's just a right-hand drive English Honda Civic, actually, tying this all together with the Emily Howard British composer. It's actually called a Honda Concerto. So, oh, well, there you go. Full circle. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Look it up. That's awesome. Adam and Aaron, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Really helpful, useful information. And there's a lot to learn. You don't need to know every bit of it. I think you both did a great job of, uh, of really just helping people understand how they can, they can achieve more better without going down a rabbit hole. And of course, saving the best for last, the single best thing you can do for your website adding an H1 meta tag that simply says Andrew Dwyer and your results will skyrocket (laughs) for more expert advice like that. Go to paintmag.com. And of course, keep listening to the APC podcast. And most importantly, have a great day, everybody. 